Hello and welcome to Freelance Party Broadcast. This podcast comes to you from Freelance Corner, the home of the UK's freelancers and self-employed workers. Launching soon, you'll be able to head online to freelancecorner.co.uk to listen to podcasts, find events and meet other like-minded freelancers. I'm Jess. And I'm Faye. Faye and I are so excited to be hosting this brand new podcast series. We'll be inviting experts in to ask them the questions that you send in, but we'll also be having fun along the way. Today, we'll be speaking about communities and how you can find the right one for you. So our special guest today is Carl Reader, the social media savvy influencer. That's a phrase, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite the <laughs> You've set me up a for a fool now, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> I say social media savvy influencer because Carl has actually worked with us before through Twitter and you've got quite the presence on social media, haven't you, Carl? Yeah, so um, it, it's all by accident, really. But I've um, built a bit of a community on social media, and um, yeah, got about one hundred and thirty thousand across all the platforms. Wow, that's amazing! We could only—you got nine likes on a LinkedIn post yesterday. I don't want to brag. Ooh, about go it. you! I don't want to brag about it. But <laughs> since we're talking about it, yes, I'm an influencer now. I haven't heard about much else since because okay. of her nine, of nine likes. likes. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. And and two comments. Can I? Ask? Oh, and two Thanks. comments. Yeah, and how many of them were people in our office? It was me replying to one of the comments. <laughs> <laughs> so technically it was one comment, but yeah. <laughs> so, Carl, you're our first ever guest on Freelance Party Broadcast. We are so excited to get started. And for some background, we're talking about community today. And this podcast comes from Freelance Quarter, which is intended to be the online platform for freelancers. It hasn't launched yet, but you've been working with us on it. So are you excited, Freelance Corner? I, I'm massively excited. So um, I've been privileged enough to see structure Freelance Corner, how it's going to work, what its plan is to do. And let's be honest, it's just going to be the, a combination of the Spotify and the Netflix for freelancers. <laughs> it's going to be the go-to place, isn't oh, it? Oh, great. For that. That's what we're hoping for. Like, we want it to be the place where, free, like, if you're a freelancer, you're on Freelance Corner. That's the message. We want people to know that everything's in one place. And you can do what you want. It's your space to find friends. Find your community. Find, find your voice. Find your corner. Find your corner. <laughs> <laughs> We've met a few times in the past, Carl, haven't we? But that's only the times we know about. We may have met before because we're both season ticket holders at Southend United. Yes. So um, it's embarrassing to admit. So at the time of recording, <laughs> Southend have just woken up after a um, 7-1 loss. So they're not doing so well this no. season, are they? We started 1-0 up as well. That's the, the bad thing. I was watching. I was like, oh, OK, the news of Sol Campbell has, in, has really sparred the players on and they're like, oh, we'll win this. And then seven goals down. It's just business as usual for us, unfortunately. Yeah, we're used to this. We thrive now. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to the podcast. <laughs> we wanted to know, how can you find a community in freelancing? Okay, so I, I'm actually going to take that question and just run with it more generically about finding a community it. altogether. Yeah. In particular on social media, mm -hmm. because when we touched on LinkedIn and getting nine likes. So that, uh -huh. That's great, but I, I want to give <laughs> you a formula. Great, Faye. Thank you. That's great. Well done, Faye. Thank I want to give you a formula to get that up a little bit. Please. Ooh, thank yeah. you. She needs so it. What, yep, what sort of numbers would give you bragging rights in the office? A couple hundred, I'd say. A couple of hundred. Yeah. Okay. I, I would respect you with 200 likes. Not nine, thanks. <laughs> Not nine, no. <laughs> okay, so so look, I mean, there's, there's a couple of ways you can play social media. So you can play it as a game and try to reverse engineer it. Mm -hmm. And we'll run through that process of how many eyeballs you'd need to get onto your post and so on and so forth. Or you can look at it as to what it should really be, which is actually not about the likes, it's not about the views, it's actually about a community. Social media, I guess I was probably of the first generation that 
really used online communities at any real age. So, you know, nowadays kids are growing up and as soon as they turn sort of eight or nine, they're on Instagram and pretending they're 13. But actually, if you rewind back to when I was at school, we were just getting things like MSN Messenger, ICQ. I don't know if you've ever heard. You probably haven't even heard of that. Oh and AOL, which used to be one of the That's major... That's my internet, email address. Is it? Yes. So yeah, AOL... From the 90s. I lived for that. This is it. One. AOL used to have chat rooms. And I was of the very first generation. My senior school didn't have computers, really, that we could use, apart from RM Nimbuses. But when I went to South East Essex College for about six weeks before realising college wasn't for me, and we had computers that we can use about Windows computers. So we would, and we also had the internet for the first time. Right. Yeah, you know, I wasn't um, well off enough to have the internet at home. So the first time I had internet was at college. And we'd be talking to each other on these chat rooms and so on. And that's actually the start of social media, is using public forums to interact with each other. Fast forward that to today and where we are with social media, what is a community? How can you find your community? It's really all about who you reach out to, who you connect with, and how you build that relationship with them. So one of the big mistakes that people make in social media is focusing on the statistics. So focusing on going from nine to 200. <laughs> we'll still try and make it happen, but that's actually a mistake. Um the real benefit from having the network and real benefit from finding your own community is actually the depth of those relationships. So who it is you're dealing with, you know, are you, are you speaking to someone on the other side of the world who's actually got no interest in you and no interest in what you're doing? Or are you speaking to somebody who you know, you like, you trust, and there could be something over and above a few 280 character tweets. So that that's the first thing. And then looking at where do you want to take this? So for me, social media is a bit like a bank account, actually. And you can keep topping it up to top up the relationship. Yeah. But it doesn't replace face-to-face networking in your, in your community as well. How genuine can your connections actually be on social media then? So that's a tricky one to answer because there's a couple of sides to it. First of all, you've got fake followers. Mm. Um I on Twitter in particular, there's a number of bots. So these can be driven. I mean, we're seeing all the news about Russian agencies putting bots into influence political decisions and so on. Uh, but there's also the reality that some people will just buy followers to make themselves look popular. So that's the first thing you could do to hit 200 likes. I don't believe you can do it on LinkedIn. But on Twitter, you could probably buy likes. I guess I'll be doing that then, guys. <laughs> Don't do that. It will ruin But then I'll get Jess's respect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so that's the first issue with answering the question of how real our social media followers is. Mm-hmm. There is patently fake followers that come from bot farms and so on. But then you've also got the reality of, of how true are your followers and are they truly engaged with you? Of mine, I mentioned a headline figure of 130,000. Um, very broadly, there's about 60,000 on Twitter as we speak. There's about 35 to 40,000 on Instagram, about 30,000 on LinkedIn, and then the rest are on Facebook. So that's roughly how they're distributed. But firstly, there's going to be some crossover. Now, the ones where they cross over are probably the true followers because they've actually, I hope, liked what I've said. And they've decided to go out to different platforms to hear it on all different angles. So they've decided to hear my businessy stuff on LinkedIn, to see my photos on Instagram, to see my ramblings on Twitter. And they've decided to take the whole lot. Um, 
First of all, you need to strip out the crossover because that's not a true reflection of your influence, um, but that is probably your core influence. Um, you've then got followers where you might have engaged with somebody, um, connected with them, but actually you've got no ongoing relationship with them. So you don't speak to them, you don't reach out to them, you don't even like their tweets or like their updates. And it's arguable that they're not really a true connection because whilst they're there on your numbers, they're not interacting with your stuff, you're not interacting with theirs. And the algorithms behind the scenes will prevent you from seeing their stuff and vice versa. So within self-employment, it can be a lonely business. You're, you're often on your own. You're a, a one-man business, one-woman business. So it's even more important, I think, for self-employed people to kind of reach out and make those connections online because that Definitely. might be their only chance. Definitely. So, um, I mean, my, my background is uh, I've built a business, got about 60-odd staff there, built a couple of other businesses, but there came a point in the businesses where I had to step away and I, I pretty much became a freelancer. So working at home, not having that day-to-day contact with colleagues, you know, I've not been in the office since February. So that's the kind of, um, I guess, social exposure I have on a face-to-face perspective. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, building a community, particularly on social media, can be a lifeline for some people. And nowadays, we're very open about talking about the importance of mental health and how it ranks alongside physical health. And a good proportion of mental health is that human-to-human connection. And it really does come through on social media. Right. That being the case, like, you know, you find these connections. It might be in professional context and you use your Twitter as your professional Twitter. How professional, therefore, should you be on social media? Like, should I tweet what I had for breakfast or... Should I leave that and just talk about... You've been stalking me, haven't you? IRL. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did you What, what did you no, tweet? I'm not joking. Um, what did you have for breakfast? I'm a big believer that regardless of whether you're a freelancer or you own the biggest business in the world, you know, if you're Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg or you're just starting out in freelancing, I genuinely believe that business in general is between two people. We all like who we deal with and it can really be a deal breaker even between two big companies if the two people that are involved in the transaction don't get along. Mm. So I'm a big believer that actually social media should be a personal representation as much as possible. Um, so in turn that means what should you put on there? Really what you're comfortable to to share. So I, I've got a couple of golden rules that I try to stick by. Um, in, in fact, no, there's, there's only one golden rule really. Um, which is, would I be happy to talk about it in front of my parents? And, you know, I don't swear in front of my parents, so I try not to swear on social media. Um, I try not to be aggressive in front of my parents. I try not to be aggressive on social media. And and that's my rule of thumb. Right. And that tends to guide me. But what that also means is that I'm quite open insofar as what's going on in my world. So I'll talk about family. I'll talk about holidays. I'll talk about breakfast, lunch and dinner. Probably a whole lot more than I actually talk about business. I know that there's a strategy around it by a guy called Gary Vaynerchuk, who I guess most of your listeners um, could have heard of. Mm. He talks about jab, 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 right hook. And the jabs are the social media presence and the right hook is for sale. And I guess that I accidentally subscribed to that by being myself and being open and and perhaps oversharing. But it's not really intentional. It's just what I feel like putting out there. A lot of freelancers use social media to find business and they advertise their services and then they will, you know, you might find them on Twitter or you might, you know, as the freelancer, reach out to people. So I wonder as well, how many 
tweets would you reckon you should do a day as a freelancer? Um, like how much should you be tweeting? Is, is, it, is, there too mu- is there a thing about you could tweet too much and it might annoy people? Very roughly about five to six per day. Okay, because it's constantly moving platform, it's constantly moving timeline. You want to try and stay relevant. However, the first thing I'd say is that I, I don't believe you should use social media to try and do the deal. Um, instead, I believe social media should be an insight into who you are, you know, a portal into what your beliefs are and so on, to allow people to build up that trust and almost believe that they know you before they make the transaction. But I don't think you can make the sale through social media. So yeah, I think that if you're looking at social media just as a channel to try and find customers, it doesn't really work like that. Um, The second thing that I'd say is we tend to focus on Twitter and you know, there's a few communities that focus on Twitter, but I've also seen communities that used to focus on Twitter and now don't. And Twitter is almost completely irrelevant. Mm. So there are some worlds that people just wouldn't go onto Twitter. And there's other worlds where they live on Twitter. And the same goes for Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and so on. I mean, a perfect example is I'd pretty much stopped using Twitter before taking over the football club. And we are compelled by our national league requirements that we have to use Twitter. So we have to, first of all, we have to put certain updates on there. We, um, so from the league, but we also have to put match day commentary on there. And that's where they get their scores. It's oh. unbelievable, isn't it? That the National League gets their scores from the club's Twitter accounts. Is that true? That's true. So that's the reason why the clubs use Twitter. So then everyone involved in the football clubs use Twitter. Oh. So there's other communities that will focus on Twitter solely because there's been a movement there. So we've seen it certainly in politics around Brexit. We've seen it with the loan charge as well, that there's been a real movement around the loan charge on Twitter. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that everybody goes onto there and then that's where they connect. But actually, you need to think about where are your customers? If the main industry groups are on Facebook, shouldn't you be majoring on Facebook and connecting with them all on Facebook and sharing maybe not everything you'd share on Facebook, but the 99% of it, so that it comes across as really authentic and get connected that way. Or if you are, let's say, perhaps in the more corporate B2B world, doing the same on LinkedIn and um, popping up on everyone's LinkedIn feed with nine likes. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that you need to look at where, where your market is and really try to dominate that social platform, which isn't always Twitter. It's interesting, though, because it's like you've, you've, well, you've just basically said is there's such a different tone of voice between all of the different streams as well. Because realistically, before working, I'd never really used it in, like Twitter. I dabbled in it when I was younger. I've got a few followers, so I want to brag again. But then I deleted it because I didn't find myself using it and I was just tweeting absolute rubbish. I, I do. I've, I've made a living out of it. But no, but the, I'm, I'm, oh, why did I delete it? <laughs> but now I've got a different one that's set up for work because I have a completely different tone of voice to mm. what I did when I was like 16 or something. But then I look at my Instagram and I look at my Twitter and they're completely different because my Instagram, I feel like my Instagram is me. This is my authentic me. But then when I'm it's on Facebook. Twitter... Yeah, it's Facebook. I need to make a joke off of you. Thank you. Thank you. You can, all, you can all take that one. But it's my Facebook. <laughs> so now it's like, 
I feel like Instagram, I can do my own thing. But then Twitter, I'm because I feel like I'm still representing a company on it, though, as well. Yeah, so there's, um, again, there's a couple of bits to that. I think the first thing is there is very clearly a different tone of voice on each platform. So not not just a different tone of voice and way you talk. Because, you know, Twitter looks really weird. If you're an alien who's learned English and you come down, you log on to Twitter, you're going to think, what the hell's going on? What's that hashtag? Yeah, what's a hashtag? Why are they putting <laughs> acts in? And, yeah. um, and what are all these abbreviations? And likewise, if you go on to Instagram, for example, you're going to wonder about why people are weaving in call to actions and mm. all of that stuff. If you go on to LinkedIn, they're going to wonder why they use why people always use the secret recipe to get more than nine likes, which shall I share with, that with you now? Yes, please. Brilliant. Okay, so what you want is um, to Put start with... Paper. Is a really compelling headline, stroke controversial message, stroke controversial question. That's in the first line. Second line... You want to put a question if you haven't done it in the first. And you want to time or you want to space it out so that the amount of words that show you get your message out just before the see more bit that they have to click. Okay. So when they click see more, that shows LinkedIn that people are interacting with it. And then you can put in some bullet points or something. Um, I tend to use emojis just to make it stand out and they feel like they're me. And then you put a really compelling call to action to get people to engage and like and comment and so on. Um, That's how you do it. It's really easy. That sounds really easy. Uh, And I just learned that through looking at what other people do. I just want to say for the listeners, Faye actually has a pen and paper out (laughs) and has written that all down. Yes, I have. She's put headline, controversial. (laughs) Question, get them to see more. Emojis? (laughs) But these things always change as well. So um, I did a bit of looking at what... uh, What I did was just looking at what turns up in my newsfeed. Mm. You know, there's certain people who are always cropping up and there's certain types of posts that are always cropping up. So all I did was look at what they did, how they did it, and then tried to copy it. So I noticed, for example, that photos were always coming up in my newsfeed. This was back when I did it, so it's probably changed since. But I would always just scroll past them. I was, wasn't even looking at them. So actually, there was no point me doing photos because people would just scroll past it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I made the really naive, potentially, assumption that people's behaviour on social media will be the same as mine. Uh, so I just looked at what was resonating in my newsfeed, what was getting traction, and I copied it. And you can do the same on every other platform. See, if I was to copy what I follow, though, I would be... Well, I follow a thing on LinkedIn called Cheddar. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of it, but basically it's just loads of different, like, things that have been made for absolutely no reason. So the other day there was a video that popped up and it was like, there's this contraption made that makes, like, s'mores... In 30 seconds. Okay. So I think I'd have a little bit of a struggle if I was to do that on my well, you have my to try LinkedIn. and make a s'more in 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't know if I'd get the right following that I'd like. <laughs> so cheddar, it's called cheddar. It's called cheddar. And so there was also a contraption where horses could be rehabilitated as well on a running machine. I have such random things. But you know, this stuff though, <laughs> uh, you, you found it of interest. It's likely that your community will also find it of interest. Just because, let's say it's a production line that makes s'mores in 30 seconds, doesn't mean that you're going to get um, your only inquiries from people who um, want to make s'mores in 30 seconds. Yeah. And it shows a bit of personality as well. You know, if you're interested in something, you share it. So um, a good example, yeah, we talked about the football club earlier, um, that South End. I would share about Southend United. Mm. Now, it doesn't mean that 
I want only Southend United supporters as clients or I only want to speak to Southend United supporters. But it gives an insight into my world. Shows that we're strong characters. Shows we're strong we're characters. We're resilient. Strong but it also, But it also, really importantly, it gives you something to talk about as well. Yeah. So if you meet someone at a networking event and you're connected with them on social media, they will say, oh, what, what's that strange little football club you support? Um, <laughs> when you share your um, who you are, you yourself as a real person what then happens is you help deepen the trust because people feel like they're already friends with you before they yeah. meet you and when, when you meet them the conversation just goes so much easier that's really interesting i have a question that's more personal i guess because i i have a work twitter at just freelance and i have a personal twitter that is just for really my friends and, you know, it's not private. It's still a public Twitter profile. But would you encourage that? Or do you think like, because then my professional one, I guess, I only tweet about work Mm. and make, I don't know, I wonder, judging by what you've said, would you say that really one profile that is a mix of the two is better? So as an employee... Uh, if we cover off as an employee, yeah, a lot of it depends. <laughs> a lot of it depends on what your company suggests. As a freelancer, it's you've got a lot more freedom in what you do, and you can't you can't obviously be controlled by um, by the corporate about what you put on social media or not. I I've toyed with this as well, and to start with, I had personal and business accounts, and then what happened was this was back when I was. Um, actually involved in my business, I would have a couple of clients at me and it was really tricky because I'd leave them sitting in pending mm. and then someone would add me who's not actually a client, but he's in the industry, but he's a friend as well. And yes, I'll accept that one, but that means I need to accept those. And then yeah. all of a sudden it snowballs. Yeah. Um, so I think that really we just all need to have a reality check that when we're freelancing or running our own business, it kind of all merges into one. Mm. And in fact, it does for a lot of employees as well. And what we need to ask ourselves is, on our personal account, do we really put anything up that's so offensive that it will do us damage at work? And if you do, you probably don't want your family or friends seeing it either. Yeah. That's a good point. I think, obviously, I am an employee, so it is different. Um, But it's about... On my personal one, I sign out of my work Twitter at five o'clock and I go in into my personal Twitter and I like just really rubbish jokes or I like look yep, at me, follow the Colleen Rooney, Rebecca Vardy scandal, <laughs> like as many tweets about that as I want. And I don't feel like anyone in a professional context is going to follow it and see, oh, yeah, she's liked mm. 10 tweets about Rebecca Vardy. But it's so. also like your unfiltered self as well. So obviously at work as an employee, like you said, you've got that professionalism about you where well, day to day we could be dealing with like political matters and stuff. If I'm seen liking something about Rebecca Vardy, someone might see that and be like, oh, "Is she actually working?" She did that at three o'clock. What yeah. was she? Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not so sure. I agree with that. I think that, um, you know, I, I can see there's an issue if um, if people are offensive on social media or mm. trolling others and so on. You know, that's it's not acceptable whether it's personal or work account, but. Do you know what? I, I I don't think there's anything wrong with showing a bit of personality through social media. I think it's a great way to do that because 
Yeah, but when you end up meeting people and then deciding whether you want to work with them, it, it's all down to them as a person. Yeah. And that's the whole of them, not just the work face that they put on. Yeah, people by people, don't they? Yeah. You know what? This has been a topic that's interested so many people. We we asked people to send in their questions. Okay. Um, and obviously we told them you're a social media influencer slash expert. And they had some really good questions. Firstly, they asked, um, someone sent in, what communities are already out there? Okay, so from a freelance perspective, there's loads of communities, primarily around Facebook, and it's really easy. You type in freelance. I'm not going to endorse one or another, but I will endorse uh, Freelance Corner because I think it's going to be <laughs> phenomenal and it's going to wipe the floor with it all. Um, so there are communities out there, but really as a freelancer, if I was looking to find new communities, I would actually be looking at where my ideal customer is and looking at the communities that they're in and how I can engage with those. Now, it's really hard, obviously, to answer that without knowing, first of all, who their customer is, and then secondly, what communities their customer is involved in. So it's, it's difficult to answer that specifically. Um, but I would be looking for, let, let's say my ideal customer is hairdresser, for example. I would be looking for hairdresser forums, hairdresser groups on Facebook. I would be um, looking on Instagram, see if there's any IGTV channels where I could be contributing, commenting. Mm. Um, because don't forget, it doesn't need to be a group format for a community. It can be as simple as commenting on an Instagram post for a company's put up and you'll end up interacting with the other commenters. Yeah. So from that perspective, I would be looking at where my customer is and, and trying to find their communities. Oh, that's an interesting way to put it. Yeah. And... What if you're trying to meet people like you? Like if you're trying to meet other freelancers to talk about things that aren't about work, talk about how it's a bit lonely or talk about have you seen who the new small business commissioner is or something like that? So for me, that would be the freelance groups. Um, so looking around, I mean, Freelance Corner is going to be a fantastic place for that. But what I, what I would urge caution on is if everybody used social media to reach out for help, and it was always one way. Nobody would use it. Right. So I think that social media and, in fact, communities in general, so forums and so on, have to be approached from a giving perspective. Um, you know, it's, it's much like face-to-face -face networking. Um, if you go to a face-to-face -face networking event, you always get someone who's just looking to sell and to hand out their business cards. But actually, if you go there with the opinion of, you know, I'm going to have a few cups of coffee, bacon roll, and I'm just going to have a chat with a few people. Mm. With no um, no defined agenda behind it, then it becomes so much easier. And you find that you then open up the doors where you can then earn the right to ask for questions later. Mm. Well, that was going to bring me to my... Well, you've, you've partly answered it already, but um, we were, well, I was going to ask, are events even worth going to? But what kind of events stand out to you? Like, what draws you to an event and why should you attend? Can I give a really controversial view? You can, go for it. I've done so... As long as it goes on your headline on, on LinkedIn. I've done... <laughs> I will do, don't worry. I've done so many business events now. Yeah. It's really painful to go to one if I'm not really? speaking. Yeah. So uh, that, that sounds awful to say that, but what does attract me to the very few events? Um, personally, I look out for who's speaking and the content, and I look if there's an itch in my business that can be scratched through the content that I get. 
I always look for what is it that can make it worth my while to come away from it and feel that, yes, I've got three items to work on and and they're going to give me back the value of my time that I've donated to that event. Yeah. On the flip side, there's there's also get-togethers. And I, I'm not a fan of breakfast networking. I think it's too rigid, too formal, um, and it's too early. I don't normally get up before 10 o'clock. But <laughs> Lucky. I do tend to... <laughs> I do tend to like sort of just social get-togethers where um, those in the same industry can meet up after work for a drink. Um, They tend to be really powerful because people approach them not from a selling perspective, but from a social perspective. Yeah. And then that's where the work can come from down the line. So where do you find them then, those kind of get-togethers? Is that on social media that you tend to find those? Yeah, so they get pumped out on social media, but Really, a lot of it is about building the relationship with the organisers who will then add you to the mailing list. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. What about when you're just starting out as a freelancer? Are events worth going to then? Definitely. Definitely. Because you've likely not suffered decades of business events, which I was alluding to (laughs) earlier. Um, So they're they're definitely beneficial for that. both from a content perspective, because there will be so much more new content to you than to Mm -hmm. somebody who's been to them over and over again. Um, But also the other attendees, you can just network, you can can even just practice your networking skills Mm. to then use in your customer's ideal environment. So my eldest son has just started freelancing. So he's just turned 20, he's a voiceover artist. And he went to a big business event that I was, I think I was speaking at it last year. And... He went along, and although nobody there was likely to be his customer, he just got himself out of his comfort zone, going up to people, meeting and greeting at this big, scary business event. As soon as he was able to do that, he was then able to take that experience to go to a smaller event and know that he could do it. That's a really good idea. Like, maybe don't take your first couple of ones too seriously. Go along, try networking, and if you can do it, do it. If not... Learn how to do it for Definitely. Time. And exactly. you also need to um, make sure that your expectations of networking are set appropriately. So the way I, I look at it, when I look in hindsight at my own networking, is first event might meet one person. If I have one good conversation, it doesn't have to be a business conversation, just a conversation of, hello, what's your name? And just talk about something other than the event and the weather. You know, maybe find out their kids' names or something. Then that's one good conversation. The next event, if you have two, then four, then six, and it just builds up like that. And before long, you're part of that community. Yeah, I love that. What advice would you give to someone that's just starting out in freelance? Very good question, because there's loads of things going through my head, but I'm trying to distill the the most important. Um, So the first one is not to over-obsess about social media. Now, that might sound strange, given the reason I've come on, Um, but it's the problem that all freelancers fall into is creative avoidance. Mm. And they do the stuff that they want to do and that makes them feel happy rather than doing the stuff that's really important. Okay, so I'm sure you've seen the freelancers who spend time designing websites and business cards and all of this stuff where actually their time would be far better spent picking up the phone to potential customers. Okay, and they they don't want to do the hard work that actually puts pounds in the bank. So I would advise setting up social media platforms and so on from a very basic perspective. But to quote a phrase that's been used in Brexit negotiations recently, don't let the perfect get in the way of the good. You know, just do enough so that you're seen and you can start building a network, but then move on to the other things. Um, then I would be talking about 
going out to face-to-face events as well, meeting people and really letting your personality shine through. Oh, that's really interesting. I have a question that's not from the audience. It's from me. Okay. (laughs) You are on Freelance Corner now and we haven't launched yet. We're recording this on the 24th of October. Um, We're launching on the 4th of November. So it's new to all our listeners. And for many of our listeners, this might be the first day they've logged on to Freelance Corner or they may never have even logged on. So you have a corner. I do. On Freelance Corner. Corner. Carl's Corner. See, I really wish you'd call it the Reading Corner as Reader, Carl Reader. Really? Reader's Corner or something. I might change the name. I might redesign it all. So I wondered, what what are you going to use your corner for? So I'm actually going to use it as the main um, distribution channel for my content. One of the challenges I found as a content creator is finding the the right place to put my content out there. So I played with Medium, I played with WordPress, I played with LinkedIn. You know, all of the social media platforms, you're very much at risk of the popularity of a platform going. So I'm sure most of your listeners out there would have remembered MySpace and Bebo and so on. The same can happen to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Okay, it can it can go overnight. So whilst it's great having a community there, it's out of your hands. Um, But also, I I guess, taking it a step on from there, you're limited by the algorithm. So, Faye, I talked you through how to design your posts so that you can try and get more likes and so on. The reality is you're perhaps going to be more tempted by likes than quality of content now. Mm. You're going to be more thinking about what's the controversial headline I can put on this rather than what can I put out there that's actually really good. The social networks, because they're so big and because the algorithms are so powerful, it's forced us to change how we do our content. Now, so I think the bit that's really exciting about Freelance Corner, though, is the fact that it gives freelancers a home. So, you know, in personal finance, um, people, if they wanted to know more about their personal finance, they'd been able to go to Money Saving Expert and websites like that. Um, For employees, they have their employer's intranet or they can, um, you know, meet around on job boards and so on. But freelancers have really been quite homeless. And to me, it's... it's just such a no-brainer for freelancers to go there, to connect, to absorb the information. The beauty of it is as well that the information shared there is the kind of stuff that so-called professionals will be charging hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, for. And actually, the freelancers can just sign up free of charge and get access to it. So, yeah, no-brainer to me. Oh, it's good to hear. I mean, we've worked so hard to try and get the content right. Um, so when you log on, you can get the podcast, which I heard are really good. Um, and then the, <laughs> the written content through Modern Work magazine. Uh, and we have videos as well where you can actually, as a member, upload a video and show everyone what you do in a day. And, and it's just a nice way to kind of break that barrier. And do you know, that's my plan. So I used to love doing videos on Facebook Live. I was really fortunate that for verified users, they let us use it about two months before everyone else. And, you know, Facebook, I've only got, a, it's about 10,000 on there across the, no, about 13,000 across the platforms. But I used to just do selfie videos and I'd get like 250,000 views. And it was amazing. And then all of a sudden it dropped down because everyone else was doing it. So I'm really looking forward to being one of the first movers on video. Ray, we're so excited to have you on Freelance Corner and to see what we can do with it, you know. It's it's so exciting. 
Unfortunately, that's it for today's podcast. We've had such an interesting chat and I'm sure we could go on for hours and Faye could learn how to get her likes up on Instagram as well. They're be going up as we speak right now. <laughs> I can feel it in my bones. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming in, Carl. No, thank you so much Brilliant. for having me. And listen to Freelance Party Broadcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and most other podcast platforms. Be sure to like, share and subscribe and don't forget to leave us a review. This is the podcast of Freelance Corner, the online platform for the UK's freelancers that's launching soon. Keep an eye on freelancecorner.co.uk so you are the first to know when we launch. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs>